This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ the Big Guy. All right, welcome listener, and uh, this is Russ the Big Guy. I have a great episode for you today, by the way. Uh, Brenna's here in the studio with me again. Uh, Brenna, <laughs> so Brenna, my sometimes uh, co-host and uh, uh, favorite recording studio owner, and um, one of my two favorite daughters in the world. Also, we have a couple guests. So I want to introduce first our guest from Boston, Sean Fitzpatrick, is here. Say hey, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Good. And also Eric Maruschak. I said your name correctly, <laughs> Eric. You got it right, Russ. You got so, it right. hey, everybody. Um, yeah, we're all creatives. We're all artists here of different uh, different breeds. And uh, just a quick, quick background on our guest today, Sean. Sean describes himself as an experiential marketing person. He's into team building, event management, and he does these crazy uh, sand sculptures. He does ice sculptures, street art, chalk drawings, really, really cool stuff, and uh, he made a really nice animation for me out of my logo, which is pretty cool. Um, and Eric Maruschak is a chalk artist. A chalk artist is part of what he does, and I think he's mo- you're mostly known for your giant murals at Comic-Cons. Would I be correct in saying that as far as the chalk That's, drawing goes? That is uh, the biggest thing for me in both size and popularity, yes. Gotcha. <laughs> he's also a digital artist, graphic designer, uh, and he's my partner in crime uh, when we do quick draw cartooning at uh, our local Comic-Con, the Robercon uh, convention. So that's been a lot of fun. So, hey, guys, it's great to have a couple uh, artists, cartoonists, creative people uh, to talk to. Uh, Brenna and I are both uh, creatives, and uh, we love meeting new people. And I wanted to get you guys together because you're both you've both done these giant uh, street murals and street art and chalk drawing and stuff, and you guys didn't know each other. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to get you together. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to meet you, Eric. Yeah, you too. Have you guys had a chance <laughs> to chat at all offline or yet? Or Just uh, connected up via LinkedIn, but that's about it. All right. I, th- I want to start with uh, with Sean, if you don't mind. Because one of the things, well, actually, let, let me ask you this. I mentioned a few things that you do, how, but how would you best describe kind of what your offerings are and what you're all about? So um, the, the basic uh, like two sentence or a couple words to put together is I'm an artist that creates art with materials that rot, melt, crumble, and fade. That rot, melt, crumble, and fade. Yeah. So like pumpkins rot. Yeah. The ice melts. Yeah. The chalk fades, and the sand crumbles. It's all temporary. And so it's about time. It's about the importance of time and how you spend that time and in, in, in art as an experience versus a possession. Interesting. Wow. I like that. I kind of got a, a little taste of something similar to that. Um, I met a photojournalist in New Orleans a couple of years ago, and he described to me that one of the things that he likes most about selling his books and some of the other products that he has is when he actually gets to meet people and he has them write down their like little secrets on a card and put them in a box, and then he uh, and he ends up having a nice conversation, interaction with them. And that was the thing that he valued the most was the human inter- interaction. So um, it's interesting, you know, I, I realized that when I was doing caricature work, that's what I actually valued the most more than the art. It was the actual experience and the time with the person. So that's really cool that, that that's what you focus on. 
I came to that late in life. Trust me, <laughs> that was just a couple of years ago, and I'm an old guy already. Eric, so I did. I mentioned a few things for you. I know you have your website, Pepper yeah. Inc., and things like that. But uh, how do you see what you do? I guess because you do a lot, also. Yeah, well, a lot of what Sean said about the uh, temporary nature of artwork applies to you know what I do as well. Um, I started off with the chalk art, with the thing that I got yeah. known for doing that at outdoor festivals, which yeah. you know clearly was just a, a weekend completely weather oh, permitting gosh. and right. uh, you know you do i did 28 hour pieces that would get washed away about 10 minutes after i finished because of oh. downpour oh my god and uh you really you really quickly learn to be zen about that um oh. but one of the things that my path was was i've always been into illust- uh, sequ- sequential and storytelling artwork okay. i love comic scripts i love comic books and i've always wanted my art i want to keep doing that yeah so i took the chalk to the convention world, uh, to comic conventions, pop culture conventions, anime conventions, video game conventions. And it's funny because I get a lot of people messaging and mentioning to me what Sean says, which is, you know, what do you do with it when you're done? How do you preserve it? How do you save it? Yeah. And a lot of times I got to tell them, well, it's, even though I'm doing it on a giant piece of material of paper, it's really not meant to be archival it's it's gonna crack and fade over time i mean the only way you can preserve chalk art uh pastels and such is to put it under glass to put it on to mount it put it under glass put it on acid-free backings you know do all the archival work you do and with a piece that's nine feet wide by 13 feet tall logistically it's almost impossible so i people i see people be very disappointed over and over when i say to them well you know if if the the company that hired you yeah, if the company that hired me wants it, I gift it to them. Right. But otherwise, it goes home with me, goes into storage, and I never look at them again because they're just going to break down over time. They're they're meant to be yeah. the performance. Exactly what Sean said. They're meant to be experienced yeah. for the three days I'm there and the process. I get high-res photos to make sure that there's you know a record of the work afterwards. Sure I record time-lapse videos, which I love is a those. record of the process. I love those videos. But that's it. You know, the, the actual, there's not, pieces that people can necessarily hang in their offices i mean lucasfilm has kept a couple nintendo's kept a couple yeah funimation has kept a couple but i don't think they ever display them i just i picture them being like raiders of the lost ark in the giant warehouse wheeled into the background turn a corner and you never see it again so and you're okay with that absolutely you have to be it's interesting yeah it's interesting you know i've (laughs) i always had uh i've always had trouble with that aspect of it and uh as i mentioned uh, sort of i've come to the point of realizing that uh the caricature work that i was doing of course i give them i don't give them all away well sometimes i do but they're sold i mean that's a way to earn a living so uh, i don't keep any of them really um but aside aside from that i always have tried to accumulate things and accumulate stuff so i had a backlog or something that i could utilize later and and i often felt like i was Otherwise, I'd be have wasted my time. So you guys have, you guys have a completely different um, view of that, which I'm going to be thinking about over the next couple of days. <laughs> because, because for for most of my artwork, with the exception of maybe that interaction that I described that I just came to recently, I I, I was I was not thinking the way you guys do. Yeah, so basically for, for me, I got my start building snow sculptures and sand sculptures. And the thing that I remember the most is that when I was done with it and I took my pictures, I would pack my tools up and I wouldn't look back. Wow. <laughs> when I was leaving the beach, I would just yeah. pack, pack up, pull my stuff together, 
take the family. And we wouldn't, I said, don't turn around. Don't look at it. Appreciate what we had for that moment. Okay. And now let's move on, you know? And wow, that's really and cool. Going back to the other thing too, about the interaction, you know, with people, it's, uh, to see a smile or a positive reaction on someone's face is just, there's nothing better than that. And, and in, as an artist, you get that instant feedback. Yeah. You know, when someone says, wow, it just means that their brain can't process anything fast enough to get out. So it's very genuine yes. when someone <laughs> reacts like that. And you can right. tell. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a cool thing. And, and lastly, when it comes to why do it, it's, it's also makes great business sense from a supply and demand point of view. Well, there's a good point so, right there. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's not like something you can hold on to and it makes people want it even more because they can't. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, Brenna. Brenna's, Brenna's in the house. Uh, Brenna's a musician. And uh, so she actually, when she, she does live shows, that's very temporary in nature as well. Well, I've been thinking about it over here. And yeah. as a writer and a producer, you were making a piece of art that um, is kind of both of those things together is meant to be a possession, but is meant to be experienced over and over and over again. So you take your favorite song that was a yeah. piece of art that was created that is something that you can own as a possession, but you are experiencing it every time you so that's listen the, to it. That's a complete opposite then. With the exception of with exception, do that what you will. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a different. That is actually that's very interesting. So that's the complete yeah. opposite. But I I actually I actually um, was thinking about the live show because the live show is very much like what these guys do. A lot, yeah. you know, live music music show. So you do your sh- people. Yeah, just like we create and that energy too, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys do you guys like that at all? Do you like the like, um, Similar thing for me, I guess, would be improv because I, I used to be in an improv troupe and uh, I still like to, when I can, do something like that, which isn't very often anymore, but I, th- I have to change that now that I just said it out loud. So one of the things that I love was the energy of the audience. And um, I would even tell people, especially if I was uh, a, as the announcer or host or whatever ahead of time, and I still do with my live things, I said, I love hecklers. So if you, you know, feel free, <laughs> join in wherever you want, because I just play off of it. I just, you know, that energy is great. And uh, I like that mm-hmm. back and forth. So you guys find that oh, like with what you make? Absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing a chalk piece at a convention, that's an average of about 30 hours worth of work over three days. Oh my God. So when you're doing that and you're on the floor for that long, the people around you are kind of what keep feeding you and keep you moving. I yeah. mean, there is the artistic side of it where once I start, I'm compelled to see the completion. I want to see the finished piece for myself. Yeah. So there is that, you know, compulsion to keep going. Physically, you know, you get tired, you get kind of bogged down, you get in your own head too much. And having that crowd around you, those reactions can can add two hours more to your energy time. You know, if you have a 15 minutes of a crowd that's just really into what you're doing, they walk away, you feel like I'm re-energized. I can go now for a little while longer and keep working on this. So I know, I know for a fact that I feed off the crowd because one time I had to do a piece at a show and they asked me to come. It was out in California. It was in yeah. Long Beach. Yeah. 
but it was only going to be a two day convention. And the pieces I do usually take three full days because of their size. I'm like, Oh, two days, it's going to be tight. You know, I need that third day, especially if you want people to enjoy the finished piece for a little while. I don't want to be finishing right when the show closes. They're huge. Yeah. Well, I try to end like about four hours before the show closes so that people can get pictures of the final piece, you know, experience the finished one. So what I did was I came and set up and I drew the show was only Saturday, Sunday. I drew and worked on Friday while the union people were setting up the rest of the show, because that was load-in day. I'm surprised they let you. Those union people are tough. Can't change a light you know, my, bulb. <laughs> my, yeah, yeah, trust me. But my space was already booked, and they set it up, so it was like, you know, they were okay with it. Yeah. And that day, the energy was very hard for me to get going, because there was no crowd. You know, once in a while, some of the union guys would come by and be like, that's awesome, but, you know, it, it, there wasn't, a thousand, five thousand, whatever sure. people that were going to be there the next day. Yeah. So there was definitely a different feel to the energy and the amount of work, the output I was doing, which changed quite a bit on days two and three when the crowd was there. I still can't get over uh, what you do, like how you crawl around on your hands and knees and <laughs> crawling around for like three days is <laughs> a lot of stretching and a lot of muscle relaxation. Where your where? There's the secret right there. You wear your fingers well, not, down to nubs. I'm, I'm nervous because now with covid yeah it's been it's been over a year yeah you're out of shape show yeah you better get and, to the gym you know i'm well no, i'm working i'm in shape pilates it's flexible yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know get i don't yoga. know if i've got the flexibility to do it so i've got to get back they'll definitely when i know a show's coming i'm definitely gonna have about a two and a half three months regimen beforehand leading up to it to re well, who would have thought that? my body to be able yeah. to physically do it. Who would have thought, who would have thought that was part of it? I, that's really interesting. You it's know, a very, well, I described to people, it's yeah. almost like it's, it's slow motion performance art, you know, it's yeah. being done over a long period of time. And yes. it's almost like David Blaine doing one of it's endurance art too, in a way it's, there's an endurance aspect to it, which a lot of people don't have the mentality for. So that impresses them that you yes. can focus on something like that for that long. Yeah. Well, that's so a, there's an endurance, there's definitely tough. an endurance aspect. So Sean, how do you interact with people with the chainsaw going? So, yeah, well, you have to remember too, you know, I mean, I'm doing so many different mediums. Yeah, so, I know. um, let me go back to one of the, the first, before I even quit my job. Yeah. So, uh, first big sand sculpting production that I put on, never been done before on an urban beach, really bad crime rate, oh, really, gosh. you know, really bad area for Did, an event. Okay? Yeah. Lots of stuff can go wrong. Um, our setup time was three days before the weekend. So we had some media come down, but we really didn't have a lot of people, maybe a hundred people while we were setting up came by just out of curiosity. Um, and I'm getting nervous, you know, like this is supposed to be a big event. If it's not, if people don't show up, then, you know, that's no good for anybody. So I'm putting all the hours in and the next day, a hundred thousand people showed up. Oh my Lord. Uh, today's show was down there. They decided they wanted to do a live broadcast. And it was the whole thing went just completely bonkers nuts. That was like, the exact word I was going to use bonkers. It went from, is this going to work to, oh my gosh. Like, and so the endorphins that you're running off of that from there on in, that carried me four years of managing <laughs> that event. Yeah, no, seriously. I bet. It was a hard thing to do, like incredibly difficult. I hear you. Um, the, the, the challenges, the physical, the mental, everything, everything yes. about it. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, getting that, but 
But going back to what Eric was saying about, um, yeah, just that the way the crowd keeps you going and, and uh, you know, it, it is an endurance thing we do. I, I always said my second career could have been easier because I was an auto mechanic for 22 years before I even decided to get into this line of work. Yeah, you could have um, been making greeting cards or something. I was, I was making six figures. I was probably one of the top two mechanics for Ford Lincoln Mercury nationwide at the time when I quit. Okay. And I walked away. My daughter was going into college. Oh, geez. Um, and I had about I had about five hundred dollars in the bank <laughs> when I quit my job. What, what so, made you? Yeah, what, what made you? Well, I've got to ask you now. I mean, I'm. It's. It would be on the list to ask you some questions later, but we're kind of covering a lot of the things uh, haphazardly <laughs> here. But so um, let's just hit this because you just you just hit you just hit on something big. Okay. Um, yeah. You have a track record of being a mechanic. You are successful at it. You're making decent money. You have loved ones you need to support. You don't have a lot of financial resources, apparently, or at least savings. I don't I mean I don't know what went from there, but what the heck was going through your mind? Like what? Do so you again, yeah, it goes back to time. Okay. Um, to to cover it really quickly, my dad had cancer when I was growing up. My entire life. All right. So from the time. I could understand that he had cancer. I was about three to when he finally passed at 17, you know, I got to see that whole process. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I understood like when he was, when he was well, um, you know, out of the, that period of time, I think his longest remission was like nine months consecutively. Um, but he was like probably one of the best people I've ever known. Um, just his work ethic, his doing his thing. And he always said to me, you know, you got to be happy with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you got to do it well, but you got to be happy with what you're doing. Now he died when he was 39. And when I was 39, I went through a crisis where I was miserable at my job because it was bored, boring me to tears. Uh, um, if you know anything about automotive yeah. mechanics, it's like when they make something in mass quantities, they break the exact same way in mass quantities. So you know, 400 of the same repair later, it gets a little old. I bet um, it does. Yeah. And, and had you so always, me, so had you always had the, uh, the artistic ability and the interest? Like how, how yeah. were you, how so old I were you? I you know? household that said you can't make money as an artist. Yep. So that was the other. So my mother was like, you have to get a real job. Yeah. So that was my answer to her, the auto mechanics. I kept drawing. Yeah. And, you know, my mother-in-law at the time used to yell at me saying I was wasting my talents, wasting my time. Um, and when you were drawing. Yeah. Well, just because I should have been doing, I should have been doing that versus, you know, being an auto mechanic. Oh, okay. So that was, and that she was, was encouraging me to, you know, do something. And so yeah. I was getting a lot of encouragement from other people. So how long did it take um, you from 39? You started it like that was the trigger was that's when your dad, how old your dad was when he died. And then you're, yeah. you're 39 and you're thinking this could be so, the end. This, this was the end of my life. Would I be happy and, with what I had done? Well, I, what I figured was regret was the worst thing you can die with. Yeah. Um, amen you have that. Control, control over that. You really do. Yeah. You know, you can try and fail and that's better than not trying. I, I feel you. I, I'm with you hundred percent. That's a lot about what, what this whole show is about is, yeah. you know, finding, finding your, uh, getting in touch with your heart, with your soul, with that, uh, that inner voice, you know, that gut that what that gut keeps telling you and being able to uh, enjoy your life and uh, be fulfilled, you know, and make a difference. 
And yeah. uh, so that's really awesome, man. So you so you quit, and then you if you had the opportunity to do this this sculpture, or you just did you make this thing so this event was, for yeah, yourself? So, so prior to me quitting, um, <laughs> I had so five years. So back up the clock five years before I quit. So the year yeah. two thousand. 1999, I took a year off of work and started a web development company with my cousin. Oh, nice. That failed. So you made the, that's okay, but you made the move and that's, that was a gut wrenching move. I know I've been there. So I learned how to build websites. Yeah. So I built myself a website and then two weeks later I got hired by Comcast to build 16 sand sculptures around the state. Wow. Because back then you could build a website and you'd rank almost instantly. Wow. I was such a niche at the time. Nice. I was easy to find. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of things, I guess, had to happen. Yeah. But they couldn't have happened if I didn't take that move, you know? Of course. There's a, right, exactly. And those are those important things. Those are those times when uh, that voice is there, that opportunity is there, and you have to be willing to walk through that door, you know? Walk through, you got to be willing to risk, right? That's a big part of it. And, uh and have some faith and confidence that whatever you think you you can do, that you can do. And one of the things that you mentioned, you know, with your web building is the failure part of it. Gosh, we talk about that a lot now. There's uh, right now innovation and creativity is really being pushed. They're kind of buzzwords, you know, and you can't get to those unless you're willing to fail. That's where we learn stuff, right? That's you know, yeah. you know all the sayings and the you know the buzzwords and everything, yeah, I've, but it's I've real. Screwed up big time, many times. Yeah, me, I'm, me too. <laughs> today, today could be another one. You never know. <laughs> so far, so good. You guys are great. Uh, you guys are great here on the on the podcast. So, um, so we got a little bit about Sean. Um, he's he was artistic. He was getting some encouragement along the way. He also was uh, getting not some encouragement necessarily. <laughs> got to go. You know, you got to make a good living. You know, uh, my parents were very encouraging. So I, I ex uh, real quickly. I just I've been doing graphics and things like since I was in high school. So as soon as I and I was like very. Um, even before that, I was kind of entrepreneurial minded, I guess. So like we'd do penny carnivals at our house and make money. We'd get like all the, all the junk we had and toys we didn't want. I'd make up all kinds of games and my little brother and little sister and I would uh, have this little penny carnival and the kids in the neighborhood would come over and spend their allowance with us. So it was fun. But, uh, I was always doing the artwork and started, you know, making money with it, like really young and then, you know, full-time businesses and all that stuff and lots of other big projects. So, um, so one of the things, like, my parents were always supportive, but then also because they both came from a different environment, my mom also said, uh, and I love you, Mom, if you hear this, but uh, she's, she's still kicking, um, you can fall back, you can always fall back on your art. You can always fall back on your art. And one day as an adult that hit me, and I, I just started crying because I'd realized that, in a way, it kind of meant like if I was doing my artwork, I had failed. And that kind of blew my mind at the time. It, I mean, that's, you know, she only wanted to tell me the best, you know, give me the best advice, of course. But when I stop and think about the fact that if I'm actually, if I'm actually being creative and doing my artwork, that means that I'm not actually really earning a good living and it's not really the job that I should be having, right? even though they were supportive at the same time. So, but I think that was some of the messaging from previous generations, you know, you used to be able to uh, go get a good job and stay there. And my dad did that. He retired at uh, early at like, I don't know, 55, I think from Kodak and uh, had a house and a pool and, 
you know, gas grill and a couple cars. And I went, I went to college, you know, we all went to college and, you know, we never really wanted for anything. We weren't rich, but, and he retired early and he's been happy ever since. So <laughs> I couldn't have done it. I worked for one summer at Kodak in the dark room and I, I just, I thought I was going to die. I just, I, I just prayed, <laughs> please don't let me stay here. <laughs> I need to be somewhere else. <laughs> So, Eric, um, I want to go throw it over to you and ask you about um, kind of Sean kind of covered the questions like, when did you know that you were an artist? And then how did you get started kind of professionally, you know? So uh, we got a listener out there. I don't maybe there's a little kid listening right now. It's like, oh, I like to draw and, uh, you know, someday, 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 you know? Right, right. Should we encourage well, Should I, we encourage that kid or tell him to go get a, go get a job in a factory somewhere or go be a doctor? Oh, I completely encourage it because it's like you guys have said, don't, don't have regrets. If you're born with that artistic drive, yeah, you should never pass it up. I actually, uh, a couple of years back, 2014, I think it was, I got, I got on the, the wall of fame from my high school. My high school called me to come back. No way. I <laughs> put on the wall of fame. That's interesting. My year. They pick, they pick people from different years. I still rank on all my classmates because I'm the only person from my graduating class that made this wall of fame yet. Wow. They pick four people every year. <clears throat> but my speech, my entire speech at the award ceremony was basically about how the arts are important and, yes. you know, shouldn't, shouldn't be, they, 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 they really encourage creative and critical thinking at the same time, problem solving techniques, there's all sorts of stuff wrapped up in art that isn't just create a picture, you know? So very observant. Um, I mean, yes. Art, nice. Art is everywhere. Art is in the design we wear. It's in the, you know, creation of the products we use. It's in the movies we watch and the entertainment we consume. And it's in the books and the comics we read. It's, it's all over. So it's tell someone you can't make a job doing art is to take away all the entertainment we've all been consuming during this entire pandemic. It's, that's all art. So and buildings that we live in and work in and yeah. shop in. I mean, architects, right? architects yeah. are art. I mean, everything. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question about how I got started, I, I knew since I was young that I was going to be an artist. Yeah. It makes it a little tough when, you know, early on in grade school, you know, everyone's saying, what do you want to do as a career? What are you going to do when you grow up? I was never a policeman. I was never a fireman. I was never an astronaut. It was just, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to draw. I'm going to do cartoons. For yeah. me, it was newspaper comic strips because at the time I wanted to be the next Calvin and Hobbes, Peanuts, Farside, something creator. I mean, that was my big draw at the time. The problem with that is when you're that locked in being an artist, you better make it work. If you yeah. if you know you're, you want to do it since you're super young, you're not really opening yourself up to another chance. It's, that's what I wanted to do. So I went through you know high school and all that, drawing, was voted class artist, went through college and did all the art classes. I stayed local, went to Binghamton University, did all the studio art classes and started taking graphic design there hit graphic design right when computers came into the fold. We went from, I mean, I started my graphic design classes, the old style of paste stuff. <laughs> yeah, me using too. Waxers and blue oh, lines yeah. and ruby lip. I had a business doing that. To, oh yeah. <laughs> oh God. And then, and then we switched over to computers. Thank God. So I was there right at the forefront of Photoshop one and all yeah. those things. So I've been doing graphic design since it converted to computers and been working on computers every day. Um, but, you know, kept kept going with the illustration, kept trying to do stuff with it, taught classes, taught art. But what really made it happen was for the chalk art, which is the first thing I really got noticed for. Yeah. It took all the way until 2004. I was asked to do it at a local festival. And I enjoyed I loved I'd been doing art so long by myself at a table or at a computer and people only seeing the finished result. 
I loved the interactive aspect. I loved creating in front of people and having, having them watch and ask questions. So I started doing more chalk art, more events, and I built up a couple pieces in my portfolio, but they were all superhero related. So I always have loved narrative art. I've always loved fantasy and comic books. So I would do, you know, gigantic 13 foot tall, incredible Hulk is my chalk art or you know, Batman, Superman or whatever. And I got pictures of those, put them in my portfolio. Well, I was going to a comic convention in Philadelphia in the, I want to say it was the early spring of 2006. And I was just an attendee, one of 100,000 people at this place, walking around my portfolio, showing it to whoever would look. Didn't have anywhere near good enough art to make it in the industry, but, you know, trying. And I was talking to this one guy in Artist Alley, showing him my portfolio, and he was not he was a freelancer, so it's not like he could offer me a job. I was just kind of getting his take on things. And at one point, he flipped the page, and he came to my chalk art pieces. I'd done like a spread of them with Hulk, Superman, all these things, gigantic. And he just stopped. And those fascinated him. And then he looked up, and I thought he was looking at me, and he turns my portfolio around, facing me. I thought he was going to point to something to give me critique or whatever. But instead, he goes... He touches some of the artwork and goes, he should do these at the convention, shouldn't he? And I realized he's not talking to me. He's talking to the guy standing next to me. So I turn my head and the guy standing next to me is this six foot eight tall, whatever guy. He looks at the stuff. He's like, that's fantastic. You should totally do that at conventions. Here's my card. He was the director of the convention I was at. Wow. Good for you. So in, in this crowd of 100,000 people at this moment, that yep. guy happened to be coming by, wanted to see what was going on at the table. I think he knew this artist, you know, they'd been friends and from other shows. Sure. And that was the moment he happened to go by and this guy showed him my portfolio. So what, I called him and it what did you think though? Like what was like, oh, I was, like I, so like, you're like, you're not going to be jumping up and down. Right. It's just like, keep, were you like no, composed kept cool. and kept your cool. Kept cool. What was going Before on? I got away from the table and everything. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. I mean, I knew chances were slim, yeah. but I was at the same point, super excited. Sure. Well, you were, started emailing, you had your foot in the door. It took, yeah, it took about three months. And then that summer, they asked me to come out to their Chicago show. Nice. To do a piece. So at the time. Did they I want you to paid. do it? Did they want you to do it free for ex, for exposure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, was easy. it was early stuff was exposure. Oh, they I mean, did? I didn't have a name. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we just embarrassed this guy. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a shot at it because it'll yeah. get people seeing what I do. That's true. I'll give it. I won't do too many, but I'll do like one and see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And I literally got in a car, drove 13 hours to Chicago. It was 95 degree heat in there. They'd just come off a heat wave that had killed like 20 people in the city. Oh, my God. Got there. <laughs> was doing a piece outdoors you were three days oh Lord. yeah it was in front of the convention center yeah found out the hotel that i'd booked online the room i had had no air conditioning it broke oh my and God. they couldn't guarantee it would be fixed i had to drive around and find another hotel yeah which was almost impossible because Lollapalooza was going on in the city at the time there was a tall ships convention there was there was like no rooms i found one finally yeah but I'm like, I'm going to need air conditioning every night after being out in the heat all day doing this. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Did the piece three days. I put like 40 hours in on this piece over three days. Sean's enjoying your story, day. by the way. <laughs> I'm watching his face. He's probably thinking <laughs> of all then, the stuff he went through. You know, finished up on Sunday. That yeah. Monday morning, got in the car, drove 13 hours back. Oh, my god! Getting home at like you know, 9, nine ten at night. It got paid zero? To go back to my day job. And that was a zero pay job? It was a zero pay exposure job. God bless but, you, Eric. If I didn't do that, 
Yeah. I wouldn't have done pieces for Nintendo. Yeah. ESPN, Lucasfilm, uh, you know, all the companies that have brought me on since, you know, it was a build. I had to have that first piece. So when people say don't do work for exposure, I, for the most part agree. I think I, I read, there's a, there's a guy I follow on Twitter. It's called for exposure dot text txt or something it's basically a, a a place where people can send in the things they've been asked to do for exposure okay that's all the feed is yeah, These yeah. things from companies oh my god it rips me apart to hear what people ask yeah for. you have to be judicious <laughs> they, uh, there you know that's how i got i got started doing stuff for free i mean you do yeah, and, and sometimes even after you're established you have to do something you have to do a comp or you have to do something you know kind of free for somebody yeah, to, to really get them to buy in but you it have to be careful. You got to be careful. You, you get your feet wet. You get your feet wet. You yeah. figure things out. You shake off the jitters. You realize your value very quickly. Yeah. To give you an idea of a follow-up story, maybe not too long ago, uh, let's see, probably around 2012-ish, I was asked to come down to the Smithsonian and do a piece at a big evening event for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she didn't want they, to pay you. No, the whole event was supposed to be no pay exposure for all the artists. I turned that one down because by that point I've been working for companies. I was getting paid and I said, you guys are the Smithsonian. You're having probably a $5,000 up ticket event to bring people in. I know it's supposed to be a fundraiser, but you're asking us to come and be the entertainment. You're going to provide something. It's not an for exposure event. And I didn't do that one. Yeah. So I don't blame you. Yes. Do you need to kind of do them early in your career? to a small extent, but very quickly find your worth, find your value and lock in and understand that those four exposure things usually a don't give you much exposure and B never give you pay and C never lead to another job. So you've got to start working with companies that value your art. I think you have to be really careful with that stuff. Um, I would, I would say that if you're clever, you can uh, often take something like that um, and turn it into something gold. And the way I would, a couple of things I would suggest to do that, re, regardless of where you are in your career, is uh, you can often get something in exchange other than money, a value to you. It might be legit PR. It might be what, you know, there's a lot of different things. It might be some barter, some trade. It might be whatever. And the other thing is you can often use those types of things as your own PR stunt or your own. Um, your own advertising, your own your own um, promotional event, um, but you have to take charge of it. You have to get the people in there to film it or to do you know whatever has to be done for it. So I mean I've done different things like that over the years. I've called in some favors sometimes, or I've you know spent a couple dollars because I'm going to be at the Smithsonian and you know I could hire a film crew to come and film me at the Smithsonian. Guess what? Right. The other they're not going to do it, but. It'll be on. It'll be on the local news at least. <laughs> I've got some great stories about how to turn, you know, some some things. I did. Uh, I had this one big event. I won't take up any time because uh, uh, we're going to move on and talk about some other things here. Um, but uh, I actually survived a tornado when I was down in New Orleans doing some work, and uh, I think Eric might know about this. And I just uh, did some social media posts about it. That got picked up by people back home who were following it. Did a local news story. Local news story led to um, whoever the advertising company or media company was that was monitoring for Airstream. They're monitoring uh, media for Airstream. They called me, wanted to help me out, wanted to fix my trailer, but there wasn't much wrong with it, so they really couldn't. Um, and then they ended up doing a, a, a profile on me. I actually drove to their factory uh, in Ohio, Ohio, on the way home, and uh, um, they did a, a photo shoot and video 
video story on me that I've, awesome. ne- that I've never seen. But that all came <laughs> that all came out of having a tornado destroy everything around me and ruin my life for a few days. <laughs> all right. Anyways, that's a story for another episode. <laughs> it's pretty long, pretty long and detailed. And for those of you who've heard it before, you may be bored. So we'll save it for um, save it for another one. I got a couple other questions for you guys here about your career as artist. Yeah, you knew you were an artist pretty early. You knew what you should be doing. Some of you did, some of you didn't, or one of you did, one of you didn't right away. Um, as far as a career, and I got some support from people. So what about hurdles? You've got a listener out there who's like, wow, you know, I'd love to be able to do this, but, 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 but. Maybe you guys can talk a li- just briefly about maybe some of the hurdles that you've overcome. They might be external hurdles. Maybe they're financial. Maybe they're, I don't know, didn't get an opportunity or support that maybe you would like or something. Or maybe they're internal. Maybe it's old programming or, you know, limiting beliefs or what have you. Sean. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle um, is self-doubt and fear that people are facing um, because they either don't think they're good enough or their idea isn't good enough. And a lot of it is just comes down to self doubt. Um, You you don't don't believe or the total opposite end of it could be you're a perfectionist. Yeah. So you're going to do it when it's perfect. Right. That's just another way of saying I'm never going to do it. That's right. He's ever perfect. I mean, perfect is a lie we tell ourselves when we don't want to do things. So what did so for you? There was a trigger uh, to be able to move from a mechanic that you had done for quite a while with some possible um, hurdles ahead of you, financial or maybe just even other people's opinions about what you were doing. Um, But you did it anyways. So So much stuff could have gone wrong. Was there much stuff could have gone horribly, horribly wrong? Was there was there a technique or a tool or like or had you just reached the point where you just there was no other way for you to go? Like were you at I you know they say you got to reach the bottom before you get the top, and I don't I don't mean that to mean that you were at the bottom, but maybe you felt like you were cornered or emotionally, yeah. Yeah. Emotionally, for me, it was a tough thing because uh, I, I was like dying inside. You know, I was so creative, but I had no creative outlet. Yes. Other than just working in my house, you know, whatever I was doing, whatever I was drawing at the time. So I really didn't have a choice. Here's the way I looked at it: if it didn't work out, I could always go back to fixing cars. Yeah. That was my worst case scenario. Yep. So that's how I rationalized everything: was I looked at the worst thing that could possibly happen if I failed. Yes. And it wasn't too bad. I tell people I that all the time, man. I was like, well, just do it. Like, do something. You can always get, you know, when I was a kid, they used to be like, you do what the boss told you because, and they would tell you this, there's 10 more people waiting for your job. If you don't like it, I'll find someone who'll do it. And I heard that more than once. I worked a lot of crappy jobs over my life as I was pursuing my art at the same time. But I tell people, look, you can always get a, a crappy paying job and working for some asshole somewhere, I mean, those jobs are easy to come by. So you can always get one of them. So you don't have to worry about not finding a job if you have to have one. Like you could get one, you know, and it won't be a nice one probably, so you won't want to stay. So that's actually good. It'll, it'll, it'll drive you to get back to doing what you know you should be doing. God, I'd rather be broke than miserable. Anyways, me, but. What's, uh, you can also do what, what Sean said about that whole. Uh, yeah. Oh, the perfection being the the killer of, yes. of doing anything because perfection never exists. Perfect time never exists. Yeah. Another one I heard was 
you don't need a project, you need a product. So the idea being, you don't want something that you're just constantly working on and never showing and never putting out there. That's interesting. Because that doesn't get you anywhere. You need something that you complete and you show. Yeah. And you move on from that to complete and show more because that's how you advance. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, get into the rut of, well, I'm doodling in my sketchbook or I'm drawing this thing or I'm working on it forever. I'm going to keep working until I get really where it should be perfect, which again, perfection doesn't exist. And they never have the product to show. They never have the thing they did. It's the thing they're working on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it is what you hear too much. And until it's, oh, I did it. I, yeah. I, I worked on it. I did it. Here it is. That's what people want to see and businesses want to see if they're going to hire you. Yeah. They want to see things you've done, not things you're, well, I'm working on. A lot of industries are like that. Uh, music industry, Brana. Not people developing artists anymore, really. Is that right? Like the studios are done. So if you want, like, if you want attention for, you know, if you want some kind of a deal or a distribution deal or something, you have to have a product ready to go, right? Yeah. Look at the artist, uh, Billie Eilish. Yeah. Didn't she completely create her own album with her brother? Her brother produced it. I think, it, I think the in equipment. their bedroom. Yeah. They made their brother, own album. Her and her brother. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we're pushing the microphone closer. What do you know about mouth. them? What do you know about them? Um, Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas are a power duo. Together, okay. yeah, they have been um, co-writing all her music, and he's been producing it um, for years since before she had her big viral yeah. song. And what well, did she get it on YouTube or something? Or like, was she like a YouTube star, um, or how I does it work? Like, song, what did she do? I think her first song got noticed on SoundCloud, actually. Okay, but don't quote me on that. I could be. You're not sure. I could be wrong. <laughs> But I think they just we've quoted you, don't they? <laughs> but weren't they just sort of like in their in their home, of their parents' home, or something, or uh, yeah, they, like her, a bedroom studio, or her 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 first big um, project that had some really good numbers and attention from it um, was done in their parents' house that they grew up in. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's, I mean, another guy, and it's a different type of performance, but Bo Burnham, comedian, writer musician stand-up comic he started off being a youtube sensation he was a teenager right who did funny songs but the difference being he wasn't one of the millions out there who weren't funny he was really funny and very talented wrote amazing songs he's gone on to do huge amounts of like stand-up comedy and all this and now he's a director he came out with that movie what was it ninth grade that came yeah. out not too long ago mm -hmm. and that was a huge indie hit for him now he's he directs he writes he's he built this up from being a 14-year-old YouTuber who just started putting his comedy out there. So it's the 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 materials and the tools now to publish. Yeah. You don't need a studio uh -huh. to hire you. You don't need a TV company to hire you. You can publish it all yourself and get out there. Yeah. Getting seen through getting seen is the hard part. Getting past the I well, mean, the, everyone's a creator now. The gatekeepers. So, so much. But there's no more gatekeepers really. Correct. Uh, that's I think so there's the advantage, right? So it kind of right. it kind of leads me into another question I was asking, like or that I wanted to ask rather about staying relevant. I mean, I'm getting older. <laughs> I don't even know who this Bo guy is. I hate to say, Bo. I'll so, fill I, you in later. I apologize, Bo. We'll go watch a special tonight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what's the one? Be make happy. I'm up the, for yeah, it. Yeah. The last one he did. I'm make up happy for it. Was genius. Absolutely genius. Well, on on uh, on Brenna and Eric's. Uh, um, recommendation. I am going to. <laughs> I'm going to find out who this guy is now. And uh, so, 
Well, like I, I find it interesting. Like I have a, I, sometimes I feel like I'm having a hard time being relevant. This is something I've been working on for myself though. I'm, I'm, exp- I'm, I'm exposing too much of myself here. Um, so, I mean, I'm 61, right? And I feel like I'm still, I don't know, maybe like 28. 28 is kind of a good number. I feel like I'm 28, the late 20s. I haven't quite hit 30. Yeah. And um, my, my body's starting to fall apart a little bit, but the rest of me is doing really well. And I'm, I've got all kinds of energy. I'm, all, I'm looking forward to new creative endeavors. And, you know, the podcast is one of the new things that I'm doing this year. But there's so much that I'm uh, like the Bo. I have no idea who Bo is. There's so much pop culture <laughs> I have no clue about. Um, even my ideas of what good graphic design are or is um, uh, is different than what's like accepted these days. <laughs> And uh, it gets it's confusing. Like I, I remember when I when I was oh god, it must have been twenty five thirty years ago. There was an old guy uh, in the building who was renting one of the, one of the offices, and I talked to him one day. And again, this was thirty years ago, and he was pounding away. He was a real estate guy. He was pounding away on an old mechanical typewriter, like the Smith Corona boat anchor typewriter, and with a piece of carbon paper. And I'm like. Sir, <laughs> this is like I could help you be much more productive. You want me, I could show you how to use a PC. It's super easy and blah blah blah. And he's like, no, no, I'm not interested. You know, I can do this. And I was like, well, how about if I, you know, I can teach you how to use a, a word processor. Uh, you know, that's that'll make no, no, no. This is fine. This is uh, I'm this is good for me. And I'm like, okay, well, how about an electric typewriter with a little liquid crystal display? You can at least preview, you know, the line. It'll scroll by, and you can fix your mistakes before you print. No, no, no. I've been using this typewriter forever. You know, so like that was a big lesson for me. Like I didn't want to be that guy, but at the same time, I have a hard time kind of fitting in sometimes. I feel like so. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it uh, has a lot to do with being comfortable with who you are and owning owning your own space and your own person and everything. But yeah, but you guys aren't teenagers anymore. Do you guys feel any of that stuff or no? Or is it just me? No. I know you're both exactly. younger than me. Yeah. I, I did an event um, for Patrick Tao out in LA and he's a makeup artist. So it was a makeup release party. And like the people that showed up at this party were the youngest, hippest, coolest people in LA. Wow. And here, you know, I'm, 54 year old dude you know showing up but at the same time you've got to own your own relevance you don't have to be relevant to them yeah you just have to be relevant to yourself and to what you do and 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 then that really it makes a difference as far as how comfortable you are in that situation because as soon as you're not if you stand out you you're like it's like almost like you change color or Isn't that true? And you get smaller in that room. Yeah. But that comes from you. That's your space, you know? It's a tough thing, though. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Like trying too hard to fit in would be worse than just not trying at all. Just do your own thing. Yeah. Be, be, be the goofy old guy if you have yeah. that for well, <laughs> I can own that pretty well. So. And there you go. I get some good feedback by the young, you know, uh, it, it helps having a daughter who's in the music business. If it helps your confidence at all, all my friends think you're pretty cool. Wow. Would they, th- <laughs> but I usually have a hat on. I must say that, uh, Brenna has very good taste in friends. So <laughs> in case any of them are listening, in case, how about you, Eric? Do you ever bump into that? So you're probably, I'm guessing you're, I'm guessing you're probably another 10 years younger than Sean, but you don't have to say your age if you don't want to. But. I don't know. How, how old are you, Sean? 
Yeah, I'm about uh, four years behind him. Oh, you're so, you're older than I thought you were. Yeah, I try I try and keep myself looking and feeling young. There you go. It must uh, be big, it, must, big, it must be all that uh, um, that yoga and stuff that you do. Yeah, it's the big five limber. O. Is, is it, the big five O is a year and eleven days away because my birthday's in eleven days. So. Guess guess what changes uh, when you turn that age? Abs- nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but uh, absolutely one nothing. of the things that has kept me feeling younger is is the places where I do my art because I go yeah. to a lot of anime conventions and the average age at an anime convention is like early teens to mid teens. I mean, that's who's into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Video games. And, you know, a lot of the video gamers are, you know, they're young. Uh, comic book conventions, too, although those I've noticed the age range can stretch a bit more. But going to those has kept me, I won't say in the loop so much because my interests are still my interests and, you know, the things I follow. They've kept me feeling younger. I'm sure everyone else looks at me like if I walk around the convention after completing a piece for the night and I get an hour, they're like, oh, who's that dad who lost his kid who's walking around the convention? <laughs> who's sure that old guy? Who's that old guy? That's what they're thinking when they see me. But, stop, yeah, stop and think know. about it. Like when you were that age, like how old someone was who you thought was old. Like really, oh, old, yeah. really like maybe five years older than them. That's about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then to also like Sean did, I did a, uh, an event in Boston that was for – it was for uh, influencers. So it was for TWA, I think, with airline. I think it was TWA, and I was brought in by an advertising agency. They were doing a night in this restaurant that was this really unique restaurant where they all the food they served was kind of science-y. You know, when they, they use the dry ice and they do the things that melt. And, you know, one of those very, very yeah. upscale kind of places. And they brought in three artists ended up being one art was a team of two people and then some others. And we were all doing live art that night, each of us for a different influencer and it involved them going to England and doing a trip. So it's like the influencer was getting everything. They were getting a free trip that was going to be decided on by people based upon the art we made for the different trips. You know, we had to do our three different pieces of art to represent the trips they were going to take wow. and finish them live at this event. And then they would vote, their their followers would vote on this, and then they'd go do the trip, and they'd report back. And t- so they were getting all the benefits, and we were getting a night of working on art in this restaurant. I mean, yeah. we got compensated, we got paid, and we got I got a, I got to stay in Boston for the weekend, which was awesome. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't get any trip to England. No. Uh, but those people there, oh, my God, it was – I hope none of them are listening because they were the quintessential Uh-oh. influencer – we're very important crowd. How long ago okay. was this, Eric? I want to say about four years ago. Oh, they're no longer relevant. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Ouch. But, you know, they were all doing their Instagram pictures and yeah. boomerangs and taking, the, you know, everyone was taking. And uh, my wife did this great impression. It's like everyone who walked around, they just kept looking at things going, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's just, you know, this kind of amazing. Well, here's the thing. Those... <laughs> Sean said they're no re- longer relevant because they all retired and they have huge 401ks and probably yachts. So they <laughs> well, probably don't, okay. they don't have to be relevant anymore. It's just, so we, we're still struggling to be relevant because we need to pay the bills. <laughs> the, the worst one, I'm friends with a lot of guys who run conventions and they don't just bring, you know, they bring me as a, as a performance, but I like to talk to them about behind the scenes. I call them. I'm sure. friends with a lot of them. Yeah. There was one convention done a couple of years back that was for, it was, it only happened once, but it was going to be for the YouTube community for streamers. Yeah. And they wanted to bring out, it was in New York city, 
But most of the YouTubers who are famous and make money live in LA. So they wanted to bring some of them out to the show just to do panels and to talk and all that. And I just remember the, the frustration that people running the show had because they'd call up these, these YouTubers and say, hey, we want you to come out. We'll fly you out. We'll put you up. And they were like, yeah, you'll do all that. But all I'm going to do is just walk around to your convention. They, they were like, it would, they would, the amount they wanted to charge to like talk, they wanted to charge more to talk at a panel. Yeah. to do a signing to appear it's like they were so important yeah you'll fly me out but it's just for me to be there as a personality and i'll do what i want well they had the and, numbers uh, go around it was one of those moments where i thought i'm gonna sit here do 30 hours of work on the concrete floor doing this chalk piece for a yeah. streaming tv show and these guys want to get paid seven times eight times what i'm making just to show up well here's the thing <laughs> here's the thing God bless them if they can do it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I've done a lot of things where I wasn't able to um, be able to demand that kind of uh, remuneration okay. because I didn't have the following. I wasn't able to have the exponential growth. I mean, I've, uh, I've had a lot of projects that if they were in the Internet age, could have exploded. But you know what? Nobody had invented the Internet, and I wasn't smart <laughs> enough to do it yet. I appreciate the input that you guys have. Um, it's time for the questions. It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, it's time for some questions. The questions. You're being dared to tell the truth. Double dared, as a matter of fact. Jump right in if you have an answer. What's the thing you love the most about one of your favorite people in the world? Like my go, wife. Go ahead, Sean. what I do. Your your she, wife is your your wife is one of your favorite people in the world. Yeah, and she she tolerates what I do, but also supports me in such a way that um, I couldn't do what I do without her. I love that, and you just said that because you're being recorded, right? It's just the truth. It's oh. just going on. <laughs> That's really awesome, man. Um, we all need we all need that special person that supports us, right? And so, is it emotional support or? Is that pretty much it's it? Everything. It's everything. It comes from emotional to physical support, to uh, shoveling 50 tons of sand. Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, yeah, so I whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried doing a sand sculpture once, and it was one of my worst experiences. I thought, how can anybody dig through this? I had My hands were <laughs> turning raw from uh, trying to hang on to the shovel. I was coated with sand. It was miserable. So I built a snow sculpture. You guys are amazing, both of you. I built a snow sculpture two days ago. It was 80 degrees. Okay. Uh, was it an ice skating rink? No, it was outdoors in a, at a, a client's first birthday party. They wanted snow. I tried to sell them ice, but they weren't having it. Well, how, so do you get, had, how do you make snow for them? So you have you have ice, and you have a crushing machine, and you crush it and bag it. And then you bring five pallets of it <laughs> to the house. And you oh just, my gosh! The landscaping company just start unloading it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, crazy town. Yeah, yeah and you made your and you made your wife shovel it. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Eric, what's the thing you love the most well, about one of your favorite people? Being, he took my answer about wife. It's her <laughs> compassion. I oh. always say my wife has is the most compassionate person I know. She works uh, with. Um, she's a nurse, isn't under, she? No, she works with in the health community, but she's behind the scenes. It's uh, more of how to. The, the, the system of health delivery, especially to, especially to rural areas and people underserved, don't get the level they need due to whatever systemic things are going on in their lives or in their community that keep them from getting health care. Right. And she also works with, I look at her, what I do, I doodle. 
I draw comic characters and right. push chalk around. She helps people. She does stuff that impacts people's lives and it amazes me. Wow. And yet she supports me in what I do and, and wants to be there for me and see me be successful. So I consider myself the luckiest guy in the world. Wow. That's great, Eric. Um, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are good guys. If you could have a conversation with a famous person dead or alive, who would it be and why? How about, how about you, Sean? I'll go back to you. Oh my God. Just, just, I miss him every day. Just because you miss him. That was the why part. That's it. That's it, man. I just have so much appreciation for like him as a parent and uh, as a mentor growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And you you knew the whole time that he was, he was fighting a whole nother battle the whole, the whole time. Yeah. I mean, like here's a guy, he was president of the uh, postal workers union during the Carter administration when they went on strike. He had cancer, like he was doing radiation treatments and he'd go to work and then go to have his radiation treatments on lunch and then finish after lunch, puking out the side of the postal truck, and he did like, and then he came home and like would play ball with us. Wow, that's a that's something. It's <laughs> yeah. a dedicated father for sure. Yeah, so you get every second. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Eric. Well, <laughs> I can't take his answer twice in a row, so I can't say my dad, even though oh. I miss him. I'd love to get him to come back, but he also said famous, and my dad was never famous, so I'm ah. going to go a different route. Okay. You know, um, I have my dad passed away in 2007. He only got to see me do two chalk events before I, uh, before he passed and they were just my early ones. So I hope he realizes, you know, how far I took everything and all that. But if we're talking someone famous, Norman Rockwell pops into my head. I would love to sit with him and discuss his process, his inspirations, his life in general. I've always seen one person disconnected from Norman Rockwell. Oh, really? Yeah, a friend of mine who was in his 90s who passed away um, actually was close friends with Norman Rockwell. His big dream was to work at the Sunday Evening Post, the Saturday Evening Post, and, you know, do that type of work. Um, But it just so happens that contemporary art had started to really pick up and boost. And, like, the the week, I think the week that he got the job at the Post, they closed. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, and so he felt himself as a failure as an artist. But man, Norman Rockwell told this guy that he wished he could paint like him. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So That's incredible. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, there's so many people that have uh, have made a name for themselves when they were alive, or even become famous and valued after they've passed. And it would be really something to be able to sit down and really pick their brains and really understand, you know, where they're coming from. Oh yeah, um, oh, a lot yeah. of a lot of biography, autobiographies written, and um, if you guys ever have read Think and Grow Rich, they they talk about a mastermind in there. So if you learn about someone like Norman Rockwell and other people, you can uh, imagine how they would give you advice on different problems when you ask them. Like if they're part of your mastermind group, you guys heard of this no, concept great. at all? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's described in Think Think and Grow Rich, which is one of my favorite books. So. Uh, all right, so we've learned a lot today, guys. Uh, we have that listener out there who got some super uh, good advice from you guys uh, who had a light bulb go off and who realizes that, you know, something they've wanted to do, that their their inner voice has been telling them they should do, they can do. All right, so I want to thank you guys uh, again for coming, Eric and Sean. I really enjoyed this. I love uh, talking with other creatives. And how can people get a hold of you or see what you're doing? Or, um, uh, Sean, I know that you're almost leaving the country. Sean, Sean's flying out tomorrow, tomorrow to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I'll still be in the U.S. So <laughs> what is that? Technically, 
technically. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm taking a month off. That's fantastic. He's going to Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. So going to go out. It's, in been a, a, it's been a long October, and I need. I was supposed to go in September. But it's usually my Saturday. As February is Sunday, so that's how I work my weekends. I just take them all at once. Nice. <laughs> Everybody, you got to figure out a way that works for you. So, Sean, um, you got a website, Instagram. Yeah. What? Just go ahead. And tell us what you have. Fitzy Snowman, F-I-T-Z-Y, snowman.com is the website. And it's the same on all the social channels. So you can find me at Instagram and Twitter at, um, at Fitzy Snowman. Yeah, that's cool. So if there's somebody that uh, wants, that has some questions about the kind of industry you're in or anything like that, would you be cool to answer their questions or have them, you know, message you or whatever. Absolutely. And, and if they're on LinkedIn, that's definitely the place to hit me up. I answer all my messages and my DMs on, on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Like yeah, I love LinkedIn. I agree. It's a good place. How about you, uh, Eric? Uh, well, since my last name is so hard to spell and pronounce, I go by Pepper Inc. on pretty much every social media. It's P-E-P-P-E-R-I-N-K. Okay. And that's my website, pepperinc.com. It's my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram handle. It's my YouTube channel. It's my Facebook so pretty much uh, you want to find me, just look up Pepper Inc. with a K. You might find a company out of Australia that does temporary tattoos. Which is not They're you. Not me. <laughs> is, <laughs> They're that not a, me. is that a Pepper Inc. as well? That's another Pepper Inc. that I found. Darn um, I think Darn there's dark. a couple out there. As long as they're not in, in the U.S., I think they can also have the name because I don't have an international right. copyright on it. Gotcha. So, but yeah, if you're looking for me, just look up Pepper Inc. And if you want to add the keyword chalk, You'll find me. Super. And uh, yeah, you can message me through my my website has a contact me form, or you could you know send me messages on Twitter and all that. Uh, pretty easy to find and get in touch with. Okay, well, thank you very much, guys. I really do appreciate you coming. It's uh, it's been fun talking with you, and uh, and for me at least personally, it, I'll have a chance now to get to know you guys even better. Once uh, Sean's out in Hawaii for a couple of days, he's going to be bored looking at the sunshine, so I can probably talk to him more and. Uh, social media, you know, a LinkedIn messenger. And uh, Eric, we could sit at opposite ends of a table out at one of the restaurants or something since we're both in the same <laughs> town. <laughs> Eric doesn't want to get the COVID virus. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, no, I'm, I'm taking it very seriously. Yeah. Oh, me too. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment. Send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. There's some information in it that we have value to that person, so please share it with them. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode, and it will be easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please, subscribe. It will benefit us all. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in those comments, DMs, and subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests or just something random and fun, but you have to comment, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. And finally, this is Russ the Big Guy saying thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.